following message is recorded at City Light Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi. City Light Church exists to shine the light of Christ in our city and world through the transformed lives of His people. For more information on the church and its ministries, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org. Would you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24? Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Amen. And these are God's words as we read from his holy scripture. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in, in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Amen. Amen. How y'all doing? Good. good, good. It is good to have you guys in the house um, again. Um, so so you, you know that we've been working through, as of last week, we've been working through a series called Class in Session. It is a series of your own making. Uh, the, the folks that are here present this morning, as well as the folks that are scattered around, um, you know, in different places on the 4th of July weekend, you guys had an opportunity to share what you desired um, to know the answers to, questions in the Christian life that you had answers to. And we asked you guys to submit it over a month, drop it in a box, and what we were going to do is we were going to take some of those questions, actually pretty much all of those questions, and we were going to try our best to make sense out of them for you through Holy Scripture. And so this morning, um, we are working through a question that was submitted uh, to us, and, and, and basically the question was, how should a Christian view money? How should a Christian view money? Now, there was another question submitted to us, um, and, and it was more of a joking question, but let me tell you, I would much rather have that question um, than this question, all right? The, the question that was submitted to us dropped in the inbox, and, and we got some jokesters in here, so you guys have to understand that. Can an Ole Miss fan make it to heaven? Can an Ole Miss fan make it to heaven? We, we, won't, we, won't, we won't answer that today, um, but, 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 I'm t but, but I'll just say with a lot of prayer, a whole lot of prayer. Uh, but, but, but nevertheless, I would rather answer that question than this question. I am money adverse, all right? If, you, if you've noticed for the last two years since, since we've been walking together, one thing that you probably have not heard me talk about is money, right? I, I am money adverse. And, there, and there's a reason for that. I got history with money that makes me really, really nervous about talking about it. And then, and then also, I just understand the culture right now. And, and, and so, and so my history with money is, is really knee deep in, 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 in some, some prosperity gospel circles. And when I, was in, when I was in school, I was part of a prosperity gospel kind of campus ministry. And I've seen some really, really, really bad abuses of the church 
church in the name of money. I've seen people, you know, line people up with, you know, $500 lines and, and hey, this year's 2001, so we need, you know, 2001 people to give $2,001, you know, that type of thing. I've seen some really, really harmful practices that makes me really, really, really nervous to even discuss the topic of money. And then I've also um, just seen the, the, those practices, how they play out in the culture. So, like, when you begin to talk to people about Jesus, most of the time, the very first thing that people are going to mention to you if they are adverse to the Christian faith is the idea that there has been so many abuses of money in the church. And that, man, listen, whatever, I'm not into that, preachers all about money. And so, and so I am adverse to even discussing it because I know how, how people feel when they hear the topic even mentioned. But why are we talking about it then? Well, the first reason we're talking about it is because you dropped the question in the box. Because if you didn't put the question in the box, we'd probably be another two years before we talk about it, to be honest with you. But you put the question in the box. And so we said we were going to deal with the questions that came in the box. And that was a question that came in the box. And we're going to deal with the question of what do we, how do we view money. But also another reason, just being honest, to, much, to my, uh, much to my own failure and weakness in this regard, it's too important to ignore it. We shouldn't ignore it because it's too important. There's, there's, there is text throughout the scripture that is dealing with money. One author, as a matter of fact, in a book about leadership that was written, uh, makes this assessment about the role of money and the topic of money in, in the scriptures. He says, he says this, he says that, excuse me, Jesus talked much about money. Not, not a little bit, not even kind of, sort of. He talked much about money. 16 of the 38 parables are concerned or at least reference how to handle money and possessions. Out of the 38 parables that Jesus wrote, over a third of those are dealing with the topic and the idea of money. In the Gospels, in a, an amazing one out of 10 verses, 288 verses in all, deal or hint or point to the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. And you say, well, well, is Jesus more concerned about money than he is faith and prayer? No, I think he realizes that you're concerned about money more than faith and prayer. And so, and so, he, so he has to deal with it far more because those are the things that are on our hearts so much. You and I, amen. The wealth of America has made us immune to the real need, to real need and real generosity. That's another reason we need to talk about it, me included. The wealth of America, American wealth in general, most of us, no matter how much we think we are struggling, do not understand that, that we have more abundance than we actually know what to deal with. No matter, how, no matter how much you think you're struggling right now. One pastor was asked the following question, in the 40 plus years of pastoral ministry, what's the main misconception or weakness you've perceived among those you've pastored when it comes to generous living? And this is his response. He says, it's the frog in the pot problem. Americans of 40 years ago would be shocked to see what Christians today think of as necessities. But we view these things this way because we keep defining basics, the way the consumer capitalist culture wants us to, which is always being defined upward and fast. 
In other words, 40 years ago, people that the things that we say we have to have, the things that we say are needs, 40 years ago, people would be laughing at. As a matter of fact, if you would show that, show that slide, Darren, if you don't mind. If you, if, you, if you take a look at this graphic alone, this is America's wealth versus the rest of the world's wealth, right? This is America's wealth versus the rest of the world's wealth. When you, when you look at America, actually, whereas what we consider poor, what we consider low income, what we consider even middle class is not poor, low income, or middle class. It's actually upper middle. And so over 30% of our people live in what we would consider upper middle when you consider the rest of the world, which is about 20 bucks a day. And then there's another 56% that lives in high income compared to the rest of the world. In other words, the rest of the world thinks that we are rich, thinks that over 50% of our people are filthy rich. So basically, over 80% of the people in this country are considered either well-off or sloppy rich to the rest of the world. That's the reality of the culture. That's the reality. And, and, and most of us think we're struggling, right? We see our culture, we see our context, and we think, man, I'm just, I'm just getting by the best I can. So most of us struggle to understand how materially abundant America lie, American lives really are. In fact, I don't care where you are on the pay scale. What is so unique and deadly about the ideal of the American dream is that everything you're watching right now is giving you the impression that not only are you not well off, not only are you not doing well, but that you really need to grind because you aren't nowhere, you aren't anywhere near where you're supposed to be. And so the American dream is telling you not only, not only is this picture wrong, but you need to work harder so you can get more money because you're slacking right now. Are you tracking with that? So understand when, they, when, when, when we hear the words spoken in Matthew chapter 19 where Jesus says, truly I say to you, with, with difficulty a rich man, with, only with difficulty rather will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Understand that when Jesus says that in Matthew 19, he ain't talking about Bill Gates. He's talking about you and me. As a matter of fact, the rest of the world, when they hear the words in Matthew 19, they ain't thinking about Bill Gates either. They're thinking about Americans. Yeah, those Americans, it's going to be tough for them to get into heaven, man, with all that wealth they got. It's going to be tough for them to separate wealth and worship God as they should. So we must talk about it, even though I don't want to talk about it, right? I'm, 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 I'm glad and I'm, I'm, I'm not glad that somebody put the question in the box because that means I got to talk about it. But I'm glad that somebody put the question in the box because that means that, that the Lord is kind of forcing me to talk about it. And it's so important that we need to talk about it. So what will we say about it? Now, this won't be a sermon where I'm going to give you how much to give. This is not going to be a sermon on where to give your money and where to place your money, whether you put it in the church and out of the church and all that kind of stuff. That's not the point of this sermon. Everyone wants to hear something hard and firm and fast. Uh, 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 just, uh, just give me an answer. Do I give 5%, 10%, 15% of my money, 20%? Give me an answer. But believe it or not, there's more important things to talk about this morning. 
Jesus wants us to go beyond the legalities of money. He wants us to go to the heart and the root of our giving and our generosity. He wants us to think about a generous life that exceeds what I put in a basket at church. He wants us to think about generosity as at large. This is not a sermon that will answer everything about money. I just told you that Jesus has over uh, 500 times he's mentioning, or rather 2,000 times, that he's mentioning money through the, through the whole of Scripture. So we can't talk about it in one day. We probably could preach 15 sermons about money, but we're not. But we're going to uncover the heart of it this morning. First of all, let me say this, a few things. Money is not a bad thing, right? I said all of that. Maybe I've scared y'all towards money. You're thinking, oh, my gosh, maybe we shouldn't even think about money. But money is not a bad thing. The gospel is advanced through money. When you look at the book of Luke, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, there were women that were supporting the work of the mission, supporting Jesus' labors and the disciples' labors to advance the money. You heard that, guys, in the room? Women were doing that. Fellas, we don't know where they were. Guys ain't happy about that. Okay, all right, anyway. Christianity is, 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 or money rather, is not a bad thing. Paul discusses in 2 Corinthians the collection of offering for the church in Jerusalem. So he talks to the Corinthians and he says that the church in Jerusalem needs our help. So let's give and prepare your offering. And I'm going to come and get that offering so that we can take it back to the church in Jerusalem and help them out. We need funds to mobilize the work of God and the kingdom of God. So money is not a bad thing. And, and believe it or not, Christianity is, a, is not, or, or the ideal of Christianity being a money-making scheme is not a good excuse to reject Christianity. In fact, the way that Christianity speaks about money is a defense of Christianity and not a detriment to Christianity. Let me give you a few examples. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. It goes on and it lists a number of things, and it says this in verse 5 of that chapter, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. So it says that there's going to be people that act like Christian, but they're ultimately lovers of money, amongst other things. He says avoid them. Christianity doesn't say snuggle up to them. Christianity doesn't say put them in prominent places. Christianity says avoid them. As a matter of fact, in 1 Timothy, when it talks about the, what's the qualifications of a pastor, what's the qualifications of an elder or a preacher, someone who is leading the flock of God, it says this. Paul says this to Timothy. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, pastor, elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. In other words, looking always to fight, pick fights, verbal and physical. Not a lover of money. And so whereas in the culture they say, man, I'm not messing with that Christianity, man, because, you know, all them preachers about money, the Bible says, yeah, and they're not so, supposed to be preachers. Are you tracking with that? That if they are all about the money, you should not only avoid them, but they have disqualified themselves for the role of pastor. It's like if I'm playing Monopoly with a group of folks, right? Anybody ever play Monopoly in the room? Anybody? Nobody. Nobody play Monopoly? Okay, 
Anybody play Monopoly hand, show of hands? Anybody? All right, good. We got some Monopoly players in the room. Good. So it's like if I'm playing Monopoly and we got four people that are playing and two, and you know, everybody wants the car and then the next, and then the next best thing is the dog, right? Everybody wants the car. Everybody wants the dog. Nobody wants that little thing that you, I don't know, that you sew with. What, what is that anyway? Nobody wants that stupid thing. Everybody wants the car or the dog. And so say the first two people, they grab the car, they grab the dog, and now all of a sudden they're moving along the board. And every time they roll, they collect $200. And you're like, wait a second, bro. This is not how we play Monopoly. And they're, and they're like, well, it's the way we play Monopoly in my house. Whoever has the car, whoever has the dog, every time they roll, they get $200. And you're like, no, bro, that's not the way we play. You collect $200 when you pass go. And oh, by the way, if you pick up that chance card and it says go to jail, you can't collect it. Right? Right? Everybody tracking with that? You don't say at the, at the end of that, you don't say, well, I guess we won't play Monopoly anymore. It's a stupid game, Monopoly. These guys are, you know, collecting $200 every time they roll. You say, no, cheaters get off the game. Are you tracking? And so what I'm saying is this. You don't say Christianity is stupid and we're going to stop doing Christianity because preachers are lovers of money. You say, no, Christianity says that preachers aren't supposed to be lovers of money, so the preachers that are lovers of money are doing it wrong. Are you tracking with that? Yeah. You don't get rid of the whole board game because people are cheating. You get rid of the cheaters. I hope y'all are tracking with this. Y'all are kind of having, y'all got this dead look on your face, y'all. Y'all with me this morning? <laughs> all, right, all right, good deal, good deal. So, so the reality is, is that Christianity, the way it talks about money, it defends the faith. It doesn't denounce it. It supports the faith. It doesn't reject it. And so Jesus gives us this passage in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, where he is working through the heart of possessions, the heart of money. What do you do with it and how do you process it as you are tru truly trying to walk out the Christian life? And he says in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy. Jesus is not laying, laying out a text about investing in this text. That's not Jesus' purpose to talk to you about investments. This text is not about whether or not you set aside funds for your family emergencies or whether or not you set aside funds for life insurance or to put something away for your retirement. In fact, the Scripture talks about and supports doing things just like that. The Scripture talks about that, that in Proverbs chapter 21 and 20, it says, Precious treasures and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. It says in Proverbs 13, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. It's a good thing for you to support or you to put aside funds in preparation for your family's needs. It's a good thing. But that's not what this scripture is about. So what is this scripture about if it's not about that? This is a text about what we devote ourselves to and the extension of ourselves. What do we devote ourselves and the things that, that, the things that are connected to us? What do we devote those things to the most? He says that moth, Destroys. In other words, moth destroys the most. You can take the most expensive clothes available to man. You can grab Armani suits. You can grab Michael Kor shirts. You can grab those crazy expensive blue jeans. With, I don't even know what they're called, but I'll never buy a pair. That's why, that's why I don't even know what they're called. But there's some crazy expensive blue jeans. You can buy them. 
the bottom line is, is that if you leave them in, if you leave them tucked away long enough, moth will destroy them because they don't have eternal value. You can take some of the most precious and most valuable metals in all of the world. You leave them alone long enough, rust will destroy them because they don't have eternal value. And if moth doesn't get to it, if the rust doesn't get to it, the thieves will. Some of y'all know that. Kin to them. So you know this will happen. And so what is Jesus saying? He's saying Jesus' Jesus's point is that we can't devote everything to the fleeting. We can't devote everything to the perishable. We can't devote everything to the most, to, to, to the most fleeting and the most physical things, the things that we see. We have to devote our energy and time to the things that we don't. Paul understood this completely. In 2 Corinthians, he told us this. He said that though our outer life is wasting away, you may look on the outside and say there's not much to that guy. He says, but on the inside, being renewed day by day. And that this momentary, uh, light momentary affliction, the thing, the thing that is causing me harm, the things that's really digging into my pockets on this earth, the thing that is causing me maybe to not have the latest and the greatest or the best and the grandest, those things are preparing for me as I continue to depend on God, even as I walk through those hardships. Those hardships are preparing for me an eternal weight of glory that can't be seen right now. So, so you may see this and say, man, that's a cheap pair of shoes you're wearing. But Paul's point is, is that those shoes have no bearing on what God is doing if I'm walking with him. That he's preparing something beyond these shoes. He's preparing something beyond these garments. That will last, that moth and that uh, rust and that thieves cannot destroy and take away. Paul labored for the kingdom knowing that it was the kingdom that ultimately carried the most value and weight in the grand scheme of eternal life. And so with that being said, the question I want to ask you is what is your energy devoted to? That's what Jesus is saying when he says, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. He's saying, what is your energy devoted to in this life? What is your physical energy and your mental energy? What is it dedicated to in this life? What is your money dedicated to in this life? What is your time dedicated to in this life? Matter of fact, let me ask you this question. What would your last three checks say about who you trust? What would your last three weeks of schedule say about who you're depending on? Don't just talk about depending on Jesus. Don't just, don't just talk about having faith in Jesus. Actually allow these things that we've been given to speak to where we are in the faith. Money unveils to us or gives us a window into our heart. Possessions gives us a window into our heart. Jesus says, in fact, in this text that we're reading in Matthew chapter 6, he says, he says that where your treasure is, verse 21, there your heart will be also. The possessions are a window into where your heart is. Are you tracking with that? In Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist is baptizing people in the River Jordan. And John's baptism was intended to serve as an outward 
demonstration of an inward reality that's happening, a, a reality of repentance, people turning away from their own sinful lives and beginning to cry out to God and trust and depend on God. And, and John is baptizing people, and, and a group comes along, and John says when that group comes along, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, John gave them some really, really harsh words to say of some people coming out to be baptized. So what's going on? Well, John sees a group of Pharisees and Sadducees that come along, and that group of people was not really coming to be baptized. They were coming basically for showmanship. To, to Basically, they were operating and moving in self-righteousness. They didn't see their need for a Savior. And so John says, don't just come out here and give them water. Come out here and bear fruit tangible evidence that is in line with a repentant life, a life that shows that I am turning back towards God. He says, don't just come out and be dipped. This isn't a pool party. This is a time, this is a time where we are setting ourselves aside for God and saying, Lord, come and move. And so they begin to ask, the crowd that's gathered, ask him, what then shall we do? And he answers them this way. Listen to this. Listen to this. Whoever has two tunics is to share them with him who has none. And whoever has food to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to them, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. And soldiers also asked him, and what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. So they asked him, how do we bear fruit in keeping with repentance? And look at the things that he said to him. You know what he doesn't say? Stop watching movies. Doesn't say that. You know what he does say? Check your pocketbooks. He says, check your closets. Those who have two tunics, in other words, those who have an abundance of material, look for opportunities to share with those who have none. He says those that, are, those that have been extorting the poor, that have been taking from those who have little already, that have been using unbalanced scales, that have been cheating people, cheat no more. And so he speaks to repentance in this particular context in two ways. One is generosity, right? And the other is an elimination of extortion. In other words, what John is saying is that the way you handle your money and your possessions demonstrates fruit of repentance. Money is a window into our hearts. Possessions are a window into our hearts. But then you look at the text and, and, and you hear this from Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. You, if you continue on, he says, verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye of the lamp is the, uh, the, eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is your, in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. What is he talking about? We were just talking about treasures 
And now Jesus is talking about eyes. What is this? And the point that Jesus is making is this. The eye represents focus. He's saying, where is it? Is it on the accumulation of goods and materials and possessions? Is your focus, is your heart, is your energy in building this life on this earth alone? He says, if that's where your focus, if that's where your eye is, if that's where your heart is, then he says the eye is bad. And if the eye is bad, the whole body is full of darkness. Everything is off course if we are completely focused on building a life here. Everything is off focus. We can't be on lock for the kingdom if the only thing we're thinking about is building a life here. We can't be on mission for God if the only thing we're thinking about is building a life here. That's his point. And to highlight that, he says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other. He will be devoted to the one and despise the other, but you cannot serve God and money. And so not only, does, not only is money a window into our heart, but money is also a window into who we serve. It's a window into who we serve. He talks about the ideal of money carrying the ability to master us. It says no one can serve two masters. You say, well, how can money do that? I don't understand it. Money doesn't master me. The great king Solomon writes um, in Ecclesiastes that money answereth all things. What he means by that is that Every, pretty much all routes to pleasure and delight need money in order to get there. You tracking with that? And so what ends up happening in our lives is that our lives are so identified with the need for pleasure and delight and comfort and privilege and power and money is, the, money is the answer for us. It gets us there. And so money becomes itself a master. Because everything we desire, we tell ourselves that the only way we can get it is if we have what? More money. How do you know when money is mastering you? Well, here's an interesting thing. Right after Jesus says what he said in Matthew chapter 6, no one can serve two masters, he says this right after that. Look at that. Look at, look at verse 25 with me. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor they spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon, King Solomon, and all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what, we shall, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things 
will be added to you. Now, the key word in that text is the first word, therefore. Because therefore assumes that it was connected to the previous verse, right? And what was the previous verse? No one can serve two masters. He must love the one or hate the other. He can, you cannot serve God or money. Therefore, don't worry. What's going on there? Well, it's quite simple. What's going on there is that you know that money has more of a grip on you than it ought when worry is present. Because worry is connected to mastery. Basically, worry is saying that God, I know who you are, but I'm not sure if I can trust you. But the money, if I got it in hand, I know I can trust it. So yeah, maybe I don't have the clothes that I, that, that maybe I don't have the clothes, or maybe I don't have the possessions, or maybe the bills aren't paid. And if I just get more money, I'll, I'll, I'll have all of those. I'll be taken care of if I have more money. And God is saying, no, money is not your answer. I am your answer. I will take care of you. Yes, how, how will he take care of you? Obviously by supplying. Obviously by providing resources, by providing money. But the point is, is that you look to him first, not the money. What happens in mastery between you serving God and you serving mammon, or you serving God and you serving man, what happens is that when I'm serving mammon, anytime mammon is low, my hope is changed. My hope is changed. But God is saying, but your hope was supposed to be in me. And these are the subtle forms of worship that money lures us into. And it tells us that the only way you can have hope is if you have more of me. The only way you can have joy is if you have more of me. That's why we hold on to it so tightly, don't we? That's why it's so tough for us to be generous and to, and to give to worthwhile causes or to contribute to the life of the church or to contribute to things outside of the church. That's why it's so tough for us to do these things. Because we hold on to it thinking that this is where my hope is. Paul tells Timothy, talking to the rich folks amongst them in the, in the, in the church, he tells them, in verse 17 of chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, as for the rich in this present age, the rich people that are in your church, charge them not to be haughty or prideful or arrogant about the fact that they're rich, not to set their hopes, listen, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good. They are to be rich in the good works. They are to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. In other words, Paul says that you have to do what? Your hope cannot be set on money. Because if, as, as you heard that, what happens is that when your hope is set on money, it impacts your generosity. 
Your hope has to be set on God because as your hope is set on God, it will impact your generosity. Are you tracking with that? To be good, to, be, to, be, to do good and to be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share, that only happens if what happens? If our hope is on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. You see, money is a poor master. That's why we can't put our hope in it. Money will tell you that if you just get a little bit more of me, you'll be okay. And the thing about money is it never stops telling you that. You get a little bit more and it just tells you again. If you get a little bit, you get a little bit more, you'll really be okay this time. You know, money is such a poor master that it led, it led one of the disciples even to, to have his Savior hung on a tree. Judas for 30 pieces of silver betrayed his own Savior. Money is a poor master because it never will leave you satisfied. But there is an alternative. You cannot serve two masters, but you can serve one who is far greater than money. You know, in Isaiah 55, there's a text that when Isaiah reads, he says this, and I'm, I'm wrapping up here. He says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich, rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. He says, come everyone who thirsts. Come everyone who's looking for satisfaction. Come everyone who is looking for joy. Come everyone who is looking to be fulfilled. Come to the waters. He who has no money. So he's saying, come to the, the one who is looking to be filled, the one who is looking to be satisfied, the one who is looking to find eternal joy. Come and come with no money. How is this possible? How am I going to be filled with no money? How am I going to be satisfied with, with no money? How am I going to find rest and find peace and find joy with no money? As a matter of fact, he says, come and buy wine, milk without money. Without price. He says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me. Eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me and hear. Listen, hear that your soul may live and I will make you, make with you an everlasting covenant. This is the point. The point is you don't need money to find satisfaction. You need him to find satisfaction. See, you're spending all your money to buy bread that can't fill you. You've placed all of your eggs in the basket in hopes that, hey, if I just get this right job or I get this right position and I get this or I get that, then, hey, everything will be fine and my life will be great. He's saying that's not what's going to make your life great. I will. I will establish an eternal covenant with you. And in that you will find your feeling, in that you will find your delight, in that you will find the wine, the bread, the, the things that satisfy your soul. And without that, you will never be satisfied. 
Without that, you will never be satisfied. Jesus says, in fact, Jesus says, I came to do that for you so that you don't have to try to do it on your own. Jesus said that I came and that I made, that he was made poor in order that we might be made rich. That he emptied himself of divine privilege. That he walked, that walk that none of us could walk. He lived the perfect life that none of us could live. He was a son of a carpenter. He was born in a manger, in a horse trough. He lived a meager life. And he went to a meager, humble cross. But that in doing that, he brought you and I true riches and true wealth. The kind of wealth that does satisfy, the fact that we are found in, found in Christ, the fact that we are found righteous, the fact that we have an eternal home when all of this is said and done. And so it's out of that reality, it's out of the reality that out of my confession of faith to Jesus that I've been made righteous and now I have an eternal home that I can live this life free of the bondage that comes with thinking that money satisfies and that money answers. I can live this life free of that. I can go to work and I can work my hours and then I still can go home full of joy. No matter whether I get that promotion or I don't get that promotion. No matter whether I get the extra in my check or I don't get the extra in my check. Why? Because my, my joy is not in that. My hope is not in that. It's in him. Are you tracking with that? Let that drive your financial decisions. The fact that we are not laying our treasures here. We are laying our treasures in heaven. That's how we are to view. the. That's how the Christian is to view money. Amen? Let's pray. God, we are grateful for you. We are thankful for you. We are thankful, Lord God, that we find our hope not in riches on earth, but that we find our hope in the God who has given us all things to richly enjoy. And so, Father, help us to enjoy them with the context, with proper context, Lord. Help us to enjoy the good gifts that you've given us, the finances, the, the possessions, in the, good, in the right context, in the reality that they don't satisfy us, you do, that they cannot bring us eternal joy, you will, and that they cannot give us eternal life, you have. Help us come to that reality, Lord God, and help us walk in that reality. These things we ask and we pray in your son Christ's name. Amen. Amen. This message was brought to you by the family and friends of City Light Church. For church worship times, directions, support opportunities, or other ministry information, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org.